today's Gospels from Luke chapter 18. This is the parable of the persistent widow and serves as the basis for this sermon this morning. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Why, Mommy? Why, Daddy? Why? It didn't take long, maybe 36 months, give or take a few, to go from inhaling our first molecules of this planet to wanting answers to our questions. And the search for answers to questions continued on into elementary school where we were confronted with math worksheets and social studies fill-in-the-blank quizzes and spelling tests, and on into high school, where we had to face math and algebra word problems that stymied even the brightest, and chemistry experiments that called for conclusions that seemed unsolvable and insoluble. And for some, the search for Answers to questions continued on in college and into the first years of our career when we were facing even more perplexing problems and puzzles, assignments and assessments. But on top of all of those questions, somewhere along the line, we began to think of more challenging issues than what's 2 plus 2 and what's 7 times 7. We began searching for the answers to the big questions of life questions and things about God and foreverness. If that was not your experience, that you began thinking about those bigger things, about God and foreverness, well then believe me, when the lab report comes back with a positive response that you have a certain disease or when someone you care about turns a cold shoulder to you or when past mistakes and bad judgments haunt you in the middle of the night, then then things about God and foreverness will come rolling in like an ominous dark cloud. 
But make no mistake about it, let's be clear. To find answers to those big questions in life, we as Christians are going to want to go to the Bible. Not everybody in our world thinks about that way. They don't look at the scriptures that way, but we do. And we also understand, however, that in the Holy Bible, God does not give us answers to every idle speculation. In fact, a very famous Bible scholar who lived several centuries ago once was asked, what did God do before creation? His response may sound a little rude, but I think he got his point across. When asked, what did God do before creation? His response was, before creation, God was out in the woods making sticks to beat people who asked questions like that. Okay, sounds a little, a little rude, but I think the point is there. God does not give us the Holy Bible to answer all the questions we might have that don't necessarily affect our eternal well-being. But in the Bible, God does give us the clear, correct answer, the one correct answer to life's biggest questions. How do naughty people like me and like you get connected to a holy God? And how do I cope with all the bad junk that's going to happen to me and does happen to me in my life? Today's gospel account, which you heard read from the lectern, Luke's gospel, chapter 18, the Lord Jesus points to the answer, the answer to life's big questions about how sinners can connect with God and how we cope with all the bad stuff. Let's dive into this account today and do some exploring to find God's answer through our Savior Jesus' words, answers to those big questions. Feelings of loneliness and isolation are not strange to us. We read about them in stories like Robinson Crusoe. We see them in movies like Castaway, in which Tom Hanks' character is watching that volleyball he painted a face on drift away, calling out, Wilson! But feelings of aloneness aren't something we just read about or see in a movie. They are much more real, much more personal than that. Imagine being raised, being born and raised in poverty. That would carry with it certain pain. But imagine having wealth and then losing it all. Wouldn't that be a lot worse? Or it would be tragedy to have no friends. But imagine having friends and losing them all. Or what about being single and desiring to be married? That might carry with it a certain ache in the heart, but to be married and to have it all end in death or divorce, well, that would be even more painful, wouldn't you say? Feelings of lostness and aloneness and abandonment are horrible. But aloneness can come at us from another angle, not just from things that happen in our life around us. I know some people, and I bet you do too, who are surrounded by all kinds of co-workers in their place of employment, who living in a home with lots of other people who are married to the person sleeping on the other side of the bed, and they still feel all alone. We are not here to do a psych evaluation on why that is. We're simply recognizing that that is the case. It exists, and it's real, and it's no fun. At times in life when we have these feelings of lostness, aloneness, and abandonment, it doesn't lead us just to whining and pining, but it leads to gnawing pain on the inside. And that was the case for the woman in the story Jesus told. 
she was floating on that raft. She was a widow, which obviously means she had lost her husband. But it also seems as though she ended up on the wrong end, the short end of a stick in some kind of a dispute, and she was looking for help, looking for someone to listen to her and to help her out with her problem, and no one would help. Finally, she had to go to the judge in town, and he seems to be a rather nasty character. In the story, Jesus said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. But the judge wouldn't listen. She was left all alone, empty, lost, and abandoned. If you stop and think about it, as we move through life and start to get a bit older, we end up losing all the things that we may have taken for granted earlier in life, like youth and vigor, like good health, like friends we can count on, like an employer who shows us commitment. We start losing those things one by one. They drop off on the side of the road as we move through life until all that's left is life itself, and then eventually we lose that too. Death comes to people that we care about, to a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend in church. And eventually death comes knocking on our door too. And then what? Imagine if at the moment of death, God would turn his back on you and on me and say, you are dirt. You are not even worth what's stuck on the bottom of my shoe. Imagine calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, don't just imagine it. That's exactly what we would be calling out if Jesus hadn't called that out from the cross. Take Jesus out of the picture and all that would be in front of us would be a gaping, flaming pit of aloneness, lostness, and abandonment. Coming to that realization, I believe, is what's missing in a lot of people's lives and what leads a lot of people in our world and our culture to not really take their spiritual life very seriously. There's a lot of people like that in our world and in America. People don't take their spiritual life very seriously. Maybe they'll show up for church on a holiday because it's the thing to do, or maybe they feel they need a little spiritual juice. But other than that, this business of connecting to God or having some kind of spiritual health and well-being is really not on their mind. It's all not that all important. They don't take it very seriously or very personally. And I believe the reason for that is that those kinds of folks have not come to grips with how horrible hell is. Over the last few weeks, Pastor Hockman and I have been working our way through an online course offered from our seminary for pastors who want to do some continuing education. And part of the reading and research indicates that studies have shown that in a lot of Christian churches in America today, the subject of hell is not even mentioned. It's buried, ignored. No wonder there's a lot of people who don't take their spiritual life seriously. I'll tell you what, going through the studies we are in this online course drives me to the realization, uh uh-oh, There have been times in my life when I did not take my connection to God, my spiritual health, as seriously as I could or should, when maybe I took it for granted. To shake me out of those doldrums, I need to hear what I really don't want to hear. 
I need to swallow what I really don't want to stomach. Hell is real. It is total abandonment by God, leaving us all alone and empty forever. The terror of that abandonment can hardly be put into words. We only catch a glimpse of it when we watch Jesus getting whipped, when we see crown of thorns pressed into his skull, when we hear the clang of hammers on spikes crashing through his flesh. But even then, we come to the realization that that torture was only minor compared to the real torture of abandonment by his heavenly father. If you want to know how rotten your sinful side inborn in you really is, if you want to know how corrupt God considers your bad side to be, then look at the cross and listen to Jesus call out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should have been our cry. That should be our hell. Which leads to the ultimate question that just begs for an answer. How do we escape that? I don't know about you. But to get out of the pit of hell, I don't just want to rely on some tow rope to pull me up because my palms would end up being too sweaty and my biceps and flexor pollicis longus forearm muscle wouldn't be strong enough. No, I want to come out of that pit alive and flourishing and well and living with God without fear of his anger and being certain that he's going to give me the good things he wants me to give, wants to give me. So where do we go with our cry of abandonment? You're all expecting me to say, we go to God. Okay, I'll say it. We go to God. But what if I go to God with my prayers and about all kinds of big and serious important questions and he seems like the ornery judge in Jesus' story? How often have I prayed and it seems as though he's turning a deaf ear to me? How often have I moved to the edge of that cliff of doubt and thought to myself, well, does it doesn't really pay to pray because he's probably not listening anyway. Let's go back to this story Jesus told and jump into the sandals of that widow and recognize that she received help from an ornery judge because of her persistence. And that was an ornery judge. We don't have an ornery judge over us. We have a loving and compassionate Father who knows how to answer and does answer all of our prayers in his own way, in his own timing, in the way that is best for us. How do we know that to be true? Because he answers the biggest question. Lord, I know what I deserve, but will you abandon me for what I have thought and said and done? And his answer is no, because of what your substitute Jesus did. He paid that. He suffered hell so that you never will. And that'll never change. God's faithfulness is the answer to our cry of abandonment. I'm thinking about that widow in this story Jesus told. I hope you are too. I'm trying to picture how she may have entered the courtroom of this judge. Was she stomping in, rather arrogant, shaking her fist? Give me justice! Or was she bowed low and shuffling in and thinking she's going to hear once again, get out of here, get out of here. But here's what happens in his story. She kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And then comes this surprising change, surprising turn of events. Finally, the judge said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet 
I will see that this woman gets justice. And then Jesus lays it on your heart and mine. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? God's justice has to be satisfied. He's not going to sweep it under the rug. He's not going to ignore sinfulness. They have to be paid for. We should hear his pronouncement, guilty. And the sentence pronounced over us should be abandonment and separation from God forever. But let's go back to this story. Here is this woman who received help from an ornery judge. Don't you think that our loving Heavenly Father knows what we need most? Jesus said it differently on another occasion. He said, which of you? If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus heard the sentence guilty and was condemned. We hear the sentence not guilty and are spared. That's the surprising turn of events that God has brought into your life and mine. And we know we don't deserve it. We can lay claim to an acquittal, to a declaration not guilty because of what Jesus did for us. That acquittal, with that acquittal, that not guilty verdict, we have the answer to the big questions of life. How do I, as a sinful human being, connect with the Holy God? And how do I deal with and cope with all the bad junk that comes into my life? God's faithfulness is the answer. He never changes. God's faithfulness is the answer to our claim for acquittal. The Lord Jesus told this wonderful story for us to understand the answer to life's big questions. But as he finished the story, he wasn't done teaching. Here is God standing there in front of his disciples, in front of us, in front of the crowd around him, masking his penetrating power in human flesh, and with a tender and pleading tone, puts another question onto your heart and mine. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, will you abandon me? I know what you're thinking, what your response is going to be. It's what mine would be. Of course, we're never going to abandon you, Lord. Sounding like the apostle Peter when he was told by Jesus, you're going to deny me. No, I'll never deny you. So that we never abandon the Lord. Keep your focus on the Lord's faithfulness. His faithfulness guarantees that he hears and answers all the big questions of life. His faithfulness guarantees that he hears and answers every prayer. His faithfulness faithfulness guarantees that he will never abandon us. God's faithfulness is the answer. 